Hey, welcome to another week of Latter-day Conversations. We've had a, a little reprieve and we're back at it with a uh, same level of energy or more. We've just had our busy summer stuff going on and um, you know how it goes. So um, we're happy to have another episode though. And we, we threw in a bunch more questions in our backlog. So we've got a bunch of really exciting content coming up. Um, this week, we've got some good questions and let's see. Yeah, in our backlog, I don't know if I want to tease you guys with any. We've got stuff on preparatory redemption. We've got stuff on um, the man who loses his only piece of clothing, the linen cloth and Mark that just runs away wild. <laughs> streaker. <laughs> we've got, should you work on Sunday? We've got lots of good stuff. So stay tuned. Just want to pique your guys's interest, your listening palate. Okay. With that being said, so here are, I'll start us off with the first question this week, and I'm going to be asking Cade, and we'll just jump right in. So let's talk about spiritual gifts. Where are they, and why are they important? I guess also, what are they we could throw in? Okay, uh, good question. So let's go here. Spiritual gifts, what are they, where are they, and why are they important? Um, so spiritual gifts are one of the my favorite topics actually in the entire gospel just i don't know i i i find them very interesting uh spiritual gifts are basically blessings god bestows upon his children by his grace uh they're not necessarily earned to any degree but there are certain things we must do to um sometimes accept them as these gifts right for example uh anyone can give anyone a present but if you don't open it up and use it you're never actually going to know what that gift is sometimes and you'll never really enjoy the blessings of it uh now i think sometimes we we talk about these spiritual gifts one of the articles of faith says you know we believe in the gift of tongues prophecy revelation visions healings interpretations of tongues and so forth and um we really do we really do there there is an occasion when the prophet joseph smith after meeting with uh, president ford i believe uh who, or whoever the president of the united states was at the time um and, and in this account, they, uh, they kind of ran through this question and answer where he, he asked Joseph Smith, he's like, hey, so what, what's the difference between you and all these other Christian sects that are out there? And Joseph Smith responded saying, in that we believe that we have the gift of the Holy Ghost and none else do to, to, to the degree that we really do. And, and it's really interesting to go through and understand the power and blessings that come from the Holy Ghost and uh, these, these spiritual gifts. Uh, they're very, very important. They not only allow us to see and utilize and grow uh, with the power of God and to increase our faith, but they also help perfect us so that we can become better. Okay, so um, let me get into some details. So some of the gifts that you mentioned, like there's the gift of tongues, the gift of um, what, like a great faith or... Um, Let's see, the gift of wisdom. Like, what, what are some of the actual gifts that uh, are mentioned? Or do you think it's even a limited list of gifts that uh, can be classified as this? Yeah, yeah. So there, there, are, uh, there is definitely somewhat of a list for kind of the general gifts, I guess. Um, but uh, additionally, Elder McConkie does explain uh, in multiple occasions that there are 
an unlimited or infinite amount of gifts um, in different varieties, ways, and means given to each person. So for example, one person might have a certain amount of faith to heal someone in a certain way, or someone might have a, a certain gift that is peculiar to them based off of their needs and the situations they're placed in. But yes, there, there definitely are general gifts that we all should and could and can and do seek after. Uh, for example, like you mentioned, right? Faith or, or the testimony of Jesus or the gift to heal, the gift to be healed, um, the, the gift to work miracles. The, there, are, there are multiple gifts that are mentioned throughout scripture. Uh, the, the best scriptures to kind of define these are DNC 46, Moroni 10, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 kind of uh, run through a, a bunch of these gifts. But yeah, th there's there's infinite number of all these gifts. So I'm um, sorry, I'm turning a lot on you because I know you, you've got, uh, this is kind of your affinity or um, you're really interested in this topic. And I, I mean, I've done the, you know, casual amounts of study on it, uh, but nothing too serious. But I, I have noticed that there's this, I don't know, like different takes you can, you can take on a gift. I know that's not explaining it very well, but what I mean is like the gift of tongues, uh, for example, some people say every time missionaries go out and learn a new language, they're exhibiting the gift of tongues. But in other cases, you know, it seems like the gift of tongues is not that, but rather is someone speaking a tongue that is unknown to them. They've never learned it or even studied, and they just start speaking it, you know, like with uh, Peter when, you know, the, the cloven tongues and the Holy Ghost, you know, the, the day of Pentecost came and everyone started speaking in the same tongue. Um, that seems like the gift of tongues. So does it kind of dilute the meaning of it or does it undermine the meaning of it if we claim that missionaries are also exhibiting that gift or is it just a different demonstration? What's your take on that? And so, yes, that, that is very interesting to answer. And that's a good question. I, I've thought about the same thing before. And, and going back to kind of what Elder McCockey says, in some ways, yes, it is a gift, right? God's spirit working within you to help you do better at anything in a real sense is a gift of the spirit, right? whatever that might be, so long as it is God's power that is giving you that increase and not anything that you've done by your own will. Um, now, that being said, I do agree with you. I, I think that there really is a difference between real gifts of the Spirit and um, almost partial gifts of the Spirit, right? And I think mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with faith, faith and repentance, right? Those are kind of the, the two keys to unlock everything. And, and, and I'd like to clarify, too, I don't, I don't believe that um, necessarily... We, we have faith in gifts of the, in gifts of the spirit or other, but rather um, that we, we really enjoy these gifts of the spirit as a byproduct of our faith in Jesus Christ, less than having faith in these gifts of the spirit to enjoy them, if that makes sense. Now, that being said, belief is critical, right? Um, like, like you had mentioned, going, going about speaking with tongues, right? You, you read about, you know, the, the apostles in the day of Pentecost and they're speaking in gibberish or they're speaking like drunk sailors to some degree as some people pointed out in that day, right? But they really were speaking in a tongue to speak to other people and they communicated perfectly in that language, right? And in our mm -hmm. dispensation, we can we can see that's happened multiple times and, and many occasions. David O'McKay has had an incredible experience where he spoke in his tongue and the entire congregation had the gift of interpretations of tongues and and heard every word that he said. And Joseph Smith likewise went and preached to the Lamanites in their own tongue. And and, and you can see this gift in a, in a real way. But yes, I, I do think sometimes we don't have the faith that we ought to in the way that we need to, to enjoy these gifts to their full capabilities. Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like, you know, there's the supernatural demonstration of them where it's obviously miraculous, but if you just categorize every every time someone speaks in a language other than their, you know, mother tongue as the gift of tongues and the gift of the spirit, that it kind of just, you know, if, if everything's a gift of the tongues and nothing is, you know, it, it just makes it kind of meaningless. Because even a, a, a staunch atheist could learn a foreign language and they do lute of tongues. I, I don't think so. Even Satan can speak, you know, probably in foreign languages. It doesn't mean he's acting by the gift of tongues. So I certainly think we could take it too far. But what you're seeming to say is that um, we don't want to dismiss the fact that the spirit can help us and uh, be a catalyst in learning things, new things, maybe learning a foreign language. But there's also the gift of tongues where you're, you're just speaking in a tongue that you've never learned before. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, that's, I think, when we speak of gifts of the, of the Spirit, that's what our focus and intent should be when we, when we speak of these things, right? Uh, and, and it's the same opinion that I have on miracles and, and uh, you know, little tender mercies that many people have, right? Tender mercies are incredible, but I, I do classify them in a different subcategory of miracles, Yeah, if, if that makes sense. And it's a similar way with these gifts of the Spirit that, yes, you know, it's a wondrous gift to be blessed, to be able to learn a, a language faster, for example, or to heal somewhat quicker or to postpone something or another or to be somewhat more wise, right, or whatever. But to truly have wisdom like Solomon, to truly speak in different tongues, to understand people's souls to the same degree that Jesus Christ himself did, like in the example of him speaking with the woman at the well, of, of Jacob, right? There, there are incredible experiences that are meant to be had and are had. Now, I don't think that we, we speak of these very openly anymore. And part of that, um, to my understanding, seems that in recent years, especially due to technological advances, certain um, miraculous displays have been uh, more personalized. And I expect those to be somewhat opened up in the, some, in, in the future, right? President Nelson talks about how that um, up to this point, there's been incredible miracles that have happened. But from here until the second coming of Jesus Christ, will the greatest and most marvelous miracles occur. Mm. And, you know, I think uh, I got to be careful how I say this, but the uh, God and the spirit giving us these gifts act as sometimes as like a need or a need basis or kind of based on the context and, you know, where it is expedient that these gifts are manifest or where they're highly desired um, or it's conducive to the, you know, faith building experience is when the gifts are manifest. But I don't know, this is where I want to be careful because I don't want to say that we just have so much technology today that we don't need the spirit as much because that sounds really wrong. Um, (laughs) But do you think there's something to that? Like maybe the situations don't demand, like the gift of tongues, you know, it's like Paul kind of talked about the practicality of it. It's like, okay, it's cool. But you know, if no one understands you, that's not very helpful. I'd rather just speak in your own tongue and have everyone be edified. Um, So there's, there's kind of a practicality aspect to it. So I don't know if the gift, the same gifts may not have the same practical value because of certain, I don't know, the circumstance that we're in today. Okay. Yeah. I, I would agree on gifts uh, on, on the gift of tongues other than that i would say there are still the same if not more people that get sick there are still 
mm-hmm. such a huge need to have the gift of discernment, the, to be able to discern, you know, good from evil and evil spirits from good ones. Uh, there, there's still just as much need today to have great faith and wisdom and, and to be able to teach that and knowledge and to have a, a powerful testimony of Jesus Christ, right? And ultimately, one of the greatest gifts, as, as Paul teaches, is charity, right? That without those all those gifts, we are nothing. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I, I, I agree with you with, with uh, possibly a little bit on uh, gifts of tongues, the gift of tongues, Partially because the the prophet Joseph Smith even says, if there's one gift that we're not supposed to particularly seek out, it is the gift of tongues, right? That that's essentially given to us for one of two reasons. And and they have some interesting gospel topic essays I'd recommend everyone go and read. Uh, But they distinguish two different types of speaking in tongues, right? One's xenoglossing, the other one's glossolalia or something like that. And essentially one of them is more of like... What words did you just say? <laughs> uh, xenoglossia and glossolalia, or something, something Sounds like, like that. You're speaking I, I can... in the gift of tongues, Cade. <laughs> hadaba, hadaba, hadaba. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry to interrupt. But, but... <laughs> I gotta no. look that up. I don't even know how to like spell. I, I'll look it up later. We'll put the link in the description. Okay, yeah, explain I, it. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. And so they have these. There, there, there were two different types of, of gifts of the spirit, particularly practiced earlier in the church, a little bit more openly, as we've kind of discussed. Um, but one of them was essentially a, a singing kind of a praising of God, where it, it wasn't necessarily uh, used to teach. Right, while the other was to use to teach rather than to necessarily go about and praise God. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think that there are many, many gifts of the Spirit. And one thing that is very important is we're commanded to seek after these things. Right. DNC 46 says, you know, to seek after these gifts, lest ye are deceived. Um, seek ye earnestly the best gifts and always remember what they're for what they are given. Right. Uh, Paul Paul teaches us that we are to covet, to prophesy, right? That we really should be seeking after these gifts. And I don't think that we are. And I think that's part of the reason we don't see them as much. And I think the other part is, to some degree, it's not something that you necessarily want to go about and flaunt um, as, as a sign, right? That there is a, a careful distinction between lusting after these gifts and seeking after them righteously. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I I, I like how you... Um, your thoughts on that and the the need for the gifts today may be accepting the gift of tongues but yeah you're right you know there there is every reason to have those today of knowledge and discernment and wisdom and healing and um, all of these gifts of belief and faith and knowledge um, so yeah that's that's a good point um, yeah with the gift of tongues and those early um, experiences and church history and stuff with Brigham Young I remember didn't Joseph Smith, uh, Brigham Young was speaking in the gift of tongues one time and Joseph Smith's like, Oh, that's the Adamic language language that he was speaking in. Maybe yeah. You heard that story. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one of the first times he met in a meeting with the prophet. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty everyone, cool. Everyone's like staring down the prophet. Like, is, is that, is, is that, that okay? Good? Is that okay? <laughs> it's like, yep, that's, that's the Adamic language. <laughs> yeah. That's super cool. So I know, um, Joseph Smith's era with all of the religious enthusiasm, enthusiasm, it sparked a lot more expectations in the supernatural. And I think that's partially why they had such a um, elaborate and huge display of the supernatural, uh, you know, spiritual gifts as they did. Yeah. And a lot of them were of God, but some of them, you know, were kind of weird. 
<laughs> like, uh, I don't know, people were into weird stuff. And even today, if you go to the right areas, you'll see that. I remember even on my mission, if you guys meet some Pentecostals, sometimes Pentecostal Christians can get really heavy into the gift of tongues. Like, uh, I remember this lady, she, she was like a, a maid or a cleaner for hotels. And she had some conflict with a coworker. And she was telling us this. And she said, I got so mad at her. I spoke the gift of tongues at her. And then she just walked away. I'm like, uh, like what? <laughs> and then she was like, demonstrated some of it to us, and I'm like, that does that just sounds like gibberish? Like, I don't feel the spirit. Like, that does not feel spiritual at all. I don't even know what you're doing. Um, I don't, I don't mean to like mock her because you know I think she's sincere, but yeah. at the same time, there's some weird stuff. Not everything that seems supernatural is of God. There's definitely some weird stuff out there. So I guess that's why the the need for discernment, huh? DNC yeah, no, exactly. And that, 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 that's a really good point that, uh, that you make. And, and there's a lot of that that went on in the early church. Um, you know, there were literally members of the church that would be rowing the rowboat to go and teach the Lamanites <laughs> in the middle of sacrament. Oh, meeting. So, so you know, and there's that guy that was so like singing all weird and Joseph Smith, <laughs> you don't have to sound like a euphemism for a donkey to be heard by God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so you can see these, these people, one, one of the, issues that they often had with the early saints was they had a lot of zeal with very little knowledge, right? I mean, you look at how, how hard it was to get access to, you know, the, the revelations being published by the church. And anyway, it was, it was a, an interesting ordeal. And, and that's why you'll see in the scriptures that it specifically points out that we ought to pray for the presiding authority for the gift of discernment um, so that they're able to, you know, <laughs> let us know what's from God and what's not to some mm. degree. Uh, and that's, that's what happened a lot, right? Parley P. Pratt has some fun experiences where he goes to different churches and they were doing similar things to what we just discussed. And, and the result was the same, right? He, he rebuked uh, quickly and, and expressed his love afterwards and was uh, acknowledged of the prophet of doing exactly what he ought to have done. Mm. But yeah. yeah. And so that's the thing is, is gifts of the spirit. They're a really, really awesome topic. And, and I think we ought to search them out more frequently than we do, which is very, very minimally um, that, you know, we can recognize that there are many people that do enjoy these gifts. And I personally believe that a lot of the reason why we don't see them as much as you would like to is because we don't ask, because we don't seek, and because we don't knock. Hmm, I'd agree. Yeah, I was just about to ask you that since you, you study this a lot and you know about it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of blatant in our face, you know, that at least publicly, it doesn't seem like there's as much going on as we read in the scriptures or in the early church. So Sometimes that's kind of concerning. I feel like it's it's like when Mormon says, you know, if, if you stop seeing these miracles and these signs, it's because you don't have faith. And if you don't have faith, oh, that's a bad thing. Um, that's yeah. my paraphrased version of it. But yeah, <laughs> man, uh, it kind of worries me. I'm like, uh, I don't know. We, we're such a secular society. So how, I guess it's hard for most of us to, you know, being raised in this secular society, going to the public schools and going to our college and institutions to believe in spiritual things. But at the same time, our religion is based on these kind of miraculous events. So it's a weird uh, dichotomy to be in both worlds, the, the secular as well as the supernatural and of our religious uh, belief. Yeah. No, and that's, that's a really difficult thing to do, I think. Uh, one of the earlier apostles in the mid-1900s, Matthew Cowley, he, he talks about this same kind of phenomenon that, you know, you, you go to college and you start learning about all these academic things, which do help increase your knowledge and are good things to seek, right? Um, but you kind of become skeptical of, of 
belief and stuff and, and i'm paraphrasing as well but but he, he talks about how you have to be as a little child to even believe these things anymore right and this was in the 1950s heaven forbid we've we've last 70 years we've definitely advanced a little bit technologically speaking um mm-hmm. and and i really believe that that in a real sense you do have to humble yourself as a child to even believe in this kind of stuff anymore Right. But, but I also think you have to caution yourself on the other side that just like the scriptures talk about how we're supposed to seek these gifts, but it, it's, it particularly points out not as a sign to consume upon your lusts. Right. But, but rather that we, we need to align our will with God's right to live righteously, to seek to benefit everyone around us with those same blessings that come from God. That, that, that That's not this deified magic show. Right. But, but it is to display in public on occasions and share and use the power of God for the benefit of, of mankind, right? And uh, and I genuinely believe that as we seek, we will find. Hmm. All right, I think that's a that's a good place to go on there because I mean we could keep talking about this because there's a lot of a lot of stuff and a lot more balance we could draw out because you know there are the times when it's like you know the um, Elijah or was it Elisha that did all the signs from heaven to beat all the pagan gods. Um, I always forget Elisha, I think it was, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so that's like a clear, like, I'm showing you a sign proving to you that this is the true God, you know? And so it's like, ooh, that almost seems like God's showing a sign. But at other times, you kind of get the other side where, yeah. you know, it's like you don't seek these for a sign. And uh, I guess that's not just spiritual gifts. This is just miracles in general. So I'm taking right. it a lot broader and we don't have sure. to go there. But, I, 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 think, I think your opinion and the uh, kind of point of view on that's completely valid still though that they really do overlap quite a bit right um and elijah right goes out and calls down fire and literally shows up all these other gods right whom shall you serve but actually one of my favorites is is right after this uh, elisha goes out and and this is after elijah had been swept up and you know his chariot of fire into heaven mm-hmm. but elisha had had the mantle placed upon him and he goes out to this river and he's like and he, and he says where is the lord god of elijah Right. And the, and he smites the water and parts it in two and walks across it on dry ground. And <clears throat> I think that's something that on occasion we might downplay that literally the God that we worship is a God of miracles, right? That we don't need to tread this little line of, well, you know, I'm not too sure. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, the purpose is not to consume it upon everyone's lust. It's not to go out and, and do all this stuff, particularly with the purpose of to be seen necessarily, so far as I understand, right? But that doesn't stop Jesus from walking through the street and healing people in the public square. That doesn't stop Peter and James and John and all the apostles from speaking in tongues when needed and going out and healing people on temple steps and performing the miracles in, in these public places um, as, as a true sign of and byproduct, I guess, of faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the main principle there that it's these miracles, these demonstrations are byproducts of faith rather than predecessors to the faith because the, you know, faith has to precede the miracle. The miracle cannot produce faith. It doesn't work that way. So maybe that's, that's one principle that sometimes I'm forgetting when, when trying to digest these things. So yeah, I I mean, that's, yeah, a lot of good stuff there. I, I have nothing really to add. I would, I mean, you could probably pick it apart a little more, but uh, I don't have too much to offer on that topic. So anything okay. else you wanted to add before moving on? No, no. Just uh, ask God to increase your faith, I guess, and I'll do the same. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll, I'll lead into the next question. So this one's for you, Mike. Is treating your body like a temple a commandment? And if so, what does that entail? 
So um, I don't know if there's some kind of technical terminology to distinguish, you know, official, what is a commandment even, you know, is it one of the 10 commandments only? Are there only 10? No, there are more than that. Uh, you're supposed to also love God. If you notice, that's not even one of the 10 commandments, but later Jesus said that's the most important one. Um, and to love your neighbors yourself, et cetera, et cetera. So there are lots of commandments and a lot of them are implied in scripture, not explicit, explicitly named as thus saith the Lord, here is a commandment, do this. Um, so I think you got to take the principles that are taught in the scriptures and apply them to your lives. And you can interpret those uh, suggestions that are implied from the scriptures or from modern day revelation and leaders as commandments uh, from God. So from the scriptures, we do have verses that talk about this principle that your body is a temple, such as um, in 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul says, know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And there are other scriptures that talk about this too, DNC 93 and elsewhere, are where, where you'll find the same sentiment that our bodies are temples. And uh, I think there's some meaning in here that maybe even surpasses our understanding at this point, especially if you read the DNC 93 section around like verses 31 through 36 kind of stuff. Um, where it says the elements are the tabernacle of God, man is the tabernacle of God, even temples and whatsoever temple is defiled, God shall destroy that temple. Um, the, the precise meaning of that evades me somewhat, but I think uh, the sentiment is there. So um, if you apply this principle, yes, your body is a temple. And I think there are lots of angles you could hit at this, lots of symbolism with it. You know, you're, you could go as far as to say it's kind of like a, the physical temples, edifices where, you know, you there's a sentinel or a person who works at the front desk and takes a recommend and there's a strong filter of what is allowed in that temple and what is not allowed and what goes on inside that temple. And, um, you know, Jesus talks about the, the light of the body is the eye. What goes into your body through your eyes? What goes into your body through your mouth? And how do you treat your body with tattoos and piercings, you could even say? So, I mean, you could really take this really far. Um, but as far as the, the like, uh, I guess the requirements that are crucial in order to have earthly salvation or salvation as far as is described by um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I think really, um, you know, keep the word of wisdom so you can go to the temple. Um, but even then, tattoos, if you look up the rules about that, they... You know, the church does discourage tattoos, but it's you could go get a fresh tattoo and go to the temple the next day, just technically speaking. I'm not saying to do that, um, and I'm not saying that's in line with treating your body like a temple, but I'm just saying as far as the strict requirements that the church teaches, I think really it comes down to the word of wisdom. And beyond that, I think we should definitely uh, try to implement this as much as we can. You know, the Gordon B. Hinckley talked about women not doing more than one piercing and just doing it in your ear, um, in the bottom earlobe. Um, and you know, these are, these are, I guess, somewhat minor commandments, uh, you could call them, but you know, take it as far as you want. If you really want to take it to the next level and treat your body like a temple, show God that you respect it and, uh, make sure you put in good content physically with food, as far as uh, media that you're letting in through your eyes. Um, yeah, so I guess that, that's, that's my take on it. You can take it as far as you want and you would definitely be bent, benefited by that. But as far as the hardcore requirements, uh, that one's somewhat more restricted or simple.
Yeah. Yeah, no, this is this is an interesting topic. And I, I agree with you um, <clears throat> that that in a real sense, it's, you know, it's not the commandment that's written on the back of the Constitution is the secret 11th commandment, you know. Um, <laughs> but, but in reality, like you had mentioned, right, there are lots of commandments that aren't among the, the big 10 or, or, you know, the, the, the new commandments of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Right. Um, but this in a real sense falls in those same categories and it is explicitly outlined throughout modern revelation and scripture in past uh, dispensations as well. Um, and, and I, I don't know, I, I think one of the key things to understand, just like I had suggested, I believe, uh, when we talked about the word of wisdom is, a lot of these commandments that we receive are truly so that we can have the spirit dwell within us. Now that's not in a real sense. You don't have like this giant floating personage. That's like floating around to every single person that's being righteous right now. That's not how that works. Right? There's the light of Christ and there's various levels of this light of Christ. DNC 88 kind of outlines that a little bit. Um, but the amount of spirit, which we have, right. As some scriptures suggest, right. That they ask for a double portion of his spirit or an increased portion of his spirit or whatever it might be is a real thing. And a lot of these commandments are focused so that that spirit dwells within us so that we are enlightened. Like you had mentioned, right? That uh, the eye is the light of the soul or, or whatever the, the exact quote is. And in a real way, we are to watch after our bodies, right? In the temple, we, we receive garments that we are told are to protect us. And so long as we do not defile the covenants that we make, which part of is keeping the commandments. And I would suggest one of those commandments is to treat your body well, so well that the spirit can truly dwell within you so that you can enjoy spiritual gifts, so that you can have revelation, so that you can enjoy the power of God manifested in your life. And I think, yeah, you can get nitpicky about every little thing, right? You can talk about how many piercings, you can talk about tattoos and, and, and things like this, which to some might be big things and to some might be small. Um, but I think that the main focus is to become more holy, right? It's not to see how close to the edge you can get. And if that is your full intent to see where the law, where the line can be drawn so that you can barely make it into heaven, I think you're thinking the wrong way. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I, I, I genuinely believe that the, the more that we treat our bodies well, the more that we try to stay somewhat healthy, right? The more we try to exercise somewhat physically where we're not intoxicated, where we're, you know, clear-minded and able to truly understand and discern the spirit of the Lord in our lives. That is the direction you want to go, right? I mean, you look at Pr President Nelson. I mean, that man <laughs> is in impeccable shape. He's probably, he could probably beat me in arm wrestle right now, you know, and I'm in my prime. So, <laughs> and, and, and that's not to say that your, your physical body is, is everything. And if you're not ripped or, or swole or whatever you want to, whatever everyone's calling it nowadays, is all that matters. That is not the purpose. The purpose of, of these commandments of, of eating healthily, right? Of, of, for example, having unclean animals, probably to some degree at least, is genuinely to enjoy that spirit with you. And so I think that is the question that you should be seeking is how can I have that spirit with me in treating my body more like a temple, right? And, and you can go back to, like you had mentioned, right? That the um, the word of wisdom, for example, is, is a requirement to enter the temple, but it wasn't always that way, right? Hebrew J. Grant made that the, the new rule in the uh, early 1900s. And, and, and that's the thing is, yes, these rules and regulations will change, right? More different drugs will come out and occasionally the church will update its official statement where it says, yeah, don't smoke weed, 
recreationally. That's not good for you guys. Don't, don't, you know, <clears throat> do this, that, or another. But when, when your sole focus is to find the little things that you can do, um, I don't think that you're on, I don't know. I, I think you can be on a better direction. At least I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, where's your heart? And you know, at the same time, like we, we can um, make the, the case that these temporal commandments that God gives, such as the word of wisdom or the, um, the laws from the law of Moses that were regarding food. Um, you can make the case that these are for a practical sake, for health reasons, um, or, you know, to make our bodies more fit to receive the spirit. And while the, I think that is true, um, I think there's also this, this other side of the coin where you are blessed for a com- following a commandment, even if it is a trivial commandment that has no influence on your life whatsoever. You know, if uh, there was some random commandment that just said, um, every morning, just, um, just, uh, let's see, let me think of something. Wake up real- at 6.30 a.m. and go to bed at 10.30 p.m. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that one might have too much actual practical value. I think of something even dumber, like something like uh, pick up a pin and put it back down on the table. You know, that's, that's dumb. It has no consequence. It's totally inconsequential in your life. Yet, if God commanded you to do that, something so simple, and you So for those people who are like, you know, oh, I understand the word of wisdom so much that I understand all the health consequences. Therefore, I can drink coffee um, because I do other things to keep my body healthy. So I'm keeping the word of wisdom. Like, no, you're not. You're breaking it. You got to you got to obey the law, the letter of the law, as well as the principle of the law. And so I just have to say that because I know some members sometimes try to just, you know, ride the line or just, you know, disobey the minor commandments and just dismissing it because they're saying, well, it's just a small thing. I get the principle and I'm keeping the principle. So I think it's very important. God likes when you are exactly obedient and you keep the principle. Don't get caught up in just the dogmatic, um, you know, pharisaical obedience to these ritualistic actions, but also understand the principle and do both of them and you'll be supremely blessed for it. Amen. Yeah, I can't agree more. That's a perfect way of saying it. Um, and I, and I, I feel that exact same way about this. Is your body like a temple commandment, right? In, in a real sense, I, I think we can look at Jesus Christ, who's the perfect exemplar. And if you think he would do it, yeah, you're probably okay in going about doing that. Um, but I, I don't know. Jesus is not going to be tattooed, right? <laughs> He's not going to have this giant face mask of black ink all over his face. Um, <laughs> he, he just won't. Right. And there's, then there's principle in that, right. That we're, we're to be pure. Um, I was also going to say, um, you know, on the note of like, take the principle here and run with it, do what helps your, your body to receive this spirit. For me, I feel like uh, physical fitness is a very important thing. Um, for me, um, the level I'm at, if you guys aren't here, get on my level. I don't drink energy drinks because that makes me feel like crap. And I know that's not a commandment. And you might say, oh, you're, you know, holier, holier than thou kind of attitude. Yeah, I don't care. I'm not, I, I'm insensitive to your, uh, you know, level of offense for this because I think that this is, I'm an important principle. And if you do this, I think you'll be benefited. And yeah, it's not a commandment, but if you do it, you'll be benefited. So I'm not going to dismiss it just because you say, you know, you're, you're being a little self-righteous here or holier than thou. I don't think so. It's a good thing. I'm not uh, judging people for not doing it necessarily, but I think if you if you go far and you exercise, make sure you're not obese. You know, if you're you getting type two diabetes, um, 
most cases, unless, you know, there's some genetic influences, you're probably not taking care of your body. And if you're drinking, you know, monsters every day and uh, consuming such food that is harming your body and you're going to die at age 60 because you're not taking care of yourself, um, yet you're not drinking coffee or tea, you know, and you think, oh, yeah, I'm taking care of myself because I'm keeping the word of wisdom. Uh, yeah, I think there's some contradiction there. And, uh, yeah, you can kind of be keeping the law without the principle, just as you can keep the principle without the law sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I got nothing else to add. That was well put. So if I manage to offend everyone, <laughs> go drink your monsters. And <laughs> Mike uh, said, if we up? drink monster, we're going to hell. Well, yeah, I guess there goes half of, half of the nation right now. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Anything else to add on that one? Peter's at the pearl, the pearly gates and he's just like, so uh, what kind of sodas did you drink? Well, Mike <laughs> told me not to drink Monster, so I'm okay, right? <laughs> if you so, guys really want to live the celestial law, you can only drink LaCroix. You can't even drink <laughs> soda with high fructose oh, corn syrup. In yeah, it. I think I have to leave. I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you guys are probably thinking I look like uh, who has been Stiller play on, what is it called, Fat Camp? Have you seen that? I have not, no. That movie? Oh. It's a really funny show, but it, he, he plays this like really fit uh, fitness leader guy with kind of, I don't know, like a white guy afro. And he, anyway, I guess you got to see it. Oh no, it's called heavyweights. Heavyweights is what it's called. Heavyweights. All right. Well, I'll have to yeah. look it up. Yeah. Yeah, do so. So we'll throw that in the show notes too. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Um, let's move on before I ruin the show. Okay. So the last question, are you ready for this, Cade? I am ready, I guess. Okay. <laughs> ready or not. Here you was, come. <laughs> was Eve tricked and or beguiled by Satan, as the scriptures seem to say, or um, does the moder- as the modern temple may depict, depending on your interpretation, did she know full well what she was doing and she wasn't tricked? She was actually just a really wise woman in partaking of the fruit and falling. What's your take on that? Um, hmm. Was he tricked? I, that's a very good question. I will say without rushing into just a, a quick answer. Let's see here. Give me two seconds just to think on it. Yeah. yeah you know what? I, I will say, I will say the answer is yes. I, I think, I think that yes, in some ways she was beguiled. And I think yes, in some ways she did know full well what she was partaking of the forbidden fruit and the consequences of it. Right. I think I think very clearly we can understand that Eve knew exactly what would happen from partaking of the fruit. She knew that in some ways it fulfilled commandment and allowed them to proceed and continue and um, procreate and enjoy those blessings. But in another way, um, it was not the right time nor uh, given by proper authority to do so. And I think that's where she was beguiled. Right. So I, I think what, what one clear distinction I'll, I'll make is in this, and, and I'll add the fall, the creation, and the atonement are like three, they're the only three things that really build up the entire gospel. Without them, the gospel is nothing. And they're the only three things we really don't know a whole lot about, or there's a lot of confusion about. But from what we do know, Eve is deceived and beguiled, but she also is not deceived and beguiled. And I'll explain why. So, um, we, we know that she is tempted by the serpent, right? That Satan comes and, and beguiles her. And, and essentially he, he persuades her by telling her that he is uh, her, her brother, right? Her sibling. Um, and 
I think that in that way, he was attempting to deceive her, right? Because Satan often works in these half-truths or partial truths where, yes, oh, you know, what's going to happen is you're going to become wise like the gods, right? You're, you're going to, you know, enjoy all these these great things, right? You'll know the opposites of all things, right? You'll know good from evil uh, and good and evil, right? Which is a, a different thing. And and I think that in, in a way, he was appearing as someone who perhaps was a brother as well, who was supposed to um, introduce her or Adam into uh, partaking of the fruit, right? And um so in in that way yes he deceived her that he wasn't the person he did not have the authority to uh, introduce them into partaking of the fruit but he there was also the truth that she did know full well what was going to happen after partaking of it i don't know if that helps yeah yeah i think this is a great start and this is something i i don't know for sure the answer uh, obviously you know we don't have the the hard and fast answer. Um, this is all kind of opinionated or um, speculative, but um, yeah. So those are good starting thoughts on it. So according to the Genesis account um, in scriptures and and in Moses um, in the Pearl of Great Price, it, I'm gonna I'm gonna just read verbatim a couple of the key phrases that talk about this part, um, just to show the the clarity in the bib or the biblical or scriptural accounts that it does definitely say Eve was beguiled or tricked, depending on translation. So um, in Genesis 3, it says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. You know, it starts out by saying it's really subtle. And in Moses, it even adds in verse 6 of chapter 4 that, um, let's see, he, meaning Satan, sought also to beguile Eve. So he seeks to beguile her, and then he does beguile her. And then later in Genesis 3, verse 13, it says, um, Eve is recounting the story, you know, when the Lord asked the woman, what is this that was done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. So if anyone doesn't know the definition of beguile, it means to influence by trickery or flattery or to mislead. Or another definition is to charm or enchant someone in a deceptive way. Um, so, you know, this is trickery. He is tricking her. He is misleading her. She is, she is misunderstanding some aspects of the consequences of her actions. And this goes contrary to the temple account, which I'll now explain this um, juxtaposed to the, the scriptural account that we have. And by the way, I don't know, um, while I'm pulling this up, Cade, um, how are we to interpret the temple portrayal of the creation? Do we hold it on the same status as scripture or not? And where does it even come from? Who makes this record? Because it's been around for a while um, without too much variation, at least the the dialogue and script has? Yeah, good question. And I've, I've done a fair amount of study on this kind of stuff. Um, but long story short, Joseph Smith introduced the, the temple script, right? And taught it for uh, and until he died, right? In the <clears throat> mid, mid slash early 1840s, uh, as we know it, right? Uh, previous to that. And, and long story short, he gave the charge to Brigham Young and Wilford Woodruff gave that to, or Brigham Young gave that to Wilford Woodruff as well. And they went out some probably what, 30 years later to formalize the script um, that for uh, plenty of years, at least 20 years, I can't remember the exact date. I want to say 1870 roughly is when um, the temple script was kind of formalized and yeah, it's and, and definitely it's been adapted since then 
to certain degrees where certain things have been cut out. Um, and, and obviously those who have gone in the last decade have seen different changes as well. And um, I, I think one important thing to recognize is that uh, it's come through the proper channels and authorities, right? That the First Presidency has approved and gone through and administered all of the changes that have been done to the temple ceremony. Yeah. So um, since it's mutable or changeable, um, does that, that seems like it's treated differently than scripture because, you know, you don't go in there and change and format and, um, you know, go with a Sharpie through your scriptures or alter it in any way. Um, so does that kind of put it on a lower status than scriptures? Um, personally, I, I would say no. And, and the reason I say that is I, I, I believe the temple ceremony and the words that are spoken are very carefully uh, understood and given through revelation, um, if not at very least uh, inspiration concluded through the first presidency of the church, right? And to some degree, yeah, I see what you're saying. Because it's able to be changed, because it's somewhat malleable, does that make it less formal or less authoritative as yeah. the other accounts? And I would say no. And, and the reason that is, is because it is in the temple. Right, that it is given to us for instruction. And at times, I believe God goes out uh, or the first presidency goes out with inspiration from God to change it, to help us to understand certain things in maybe a different way or perhaps to focus on different things. And so um, while it is changeable, I think it is the most living um, and revelatory experience that we can have um, outside of truly just seeing what Moses saw <laughs> or or you know what Joseph Smith saw, or who, what any of these prophets have seen um, as the creation and the fall. Mm, yeah, and you know, even, um, to go, I guess, more on this note, um, you know, whether or not this is authoritative. Um, first off, I think it derives from the scriptural account, and I do not see any conflict between the two. So therefore, I I don't see why you know why there should even be question here. I would say it's kind of a paraphrasing or a um, derivative of the of the scriptural account and maybe with you know a little more elaboration for a dramatic effect since it is a drama i mean punibly the drama of the temple so um so in the temple account though i think there is this one part and this is what i think leads some people to believe that eve in fact was not beguiled um and it's the part when um satan goes to her and he's trying to tempt her he's trying to lead her away and beguile her and um, he tells her, you know, there's no other way. You got you to gotta do this um, if you want to keep all of Heavenly Father's commandments. Well, I don't know if he even says that. And even says the line, like, is there no other way? And uh, Lucifer tells her, yeah, there's not. And so she says, okay, then, then I'll partake. So um, after, you know, it goes through and she gets Adam to also partake of the forbidden fruit, then God comes to Adam and Eve and he wants an accounting of what had happened. He's like, you know, who, why did you eat of the fruit? And it goes down the chain. Adam says, Eve made me do it. And Eve says, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. And then, you know, it goes to the, the serpent and he's given his consequences from God. So the line where Eve says, is there no other way, leads some people to believe, oh, she's getting the picture. She understands that this is necessary. So I think, you know, it is possible she understood the aspects to this, but I think she was misled in the facts that Lucifer lied to her and said, in the day that you eat, you will not surely die. Um, 
And I think she may have been tricked there. She may have, she had to misunderstand something to be beguiled. Um, and by the way, there's a really good article on this that goes into much more detail. I'll put in the show notes. It's by a guy uh, named Jeffrey M. Bradshaw. He publishes in 2018 and it's called, did Satan actually deceive Eve? And he does a really good job. So if you want the nitty gritty details, go into that. But anyway, so there's that aspect. And then also um, people point out the part when Adam gets, uh, I mean, sorry, Eve gets Adam to partake of the fruit. And how does she do that? Well, she goes to him and she says, hey, here's the fruit, eat it. And he's like, what? No, what are you doing? This is, this is the fruit God told us not to eat. Don't you know that? And she says, well, um, don't you see, what does she say there? She do you says, intend to obey all of the Father's commandments? Yes, yeah. Um, and he says, and she says, because if you want to keep all of his commandments, you're going to have to remain with me. You know, if you stay here and you don't eat the fruit, you're going to be a lone man. Therefore, you won't be able to fulfill all of God's commandments. And then Adam thinks about it. He's like, oh, I see that this must be. I'll partake that man may be. And so um, people interpret that to say, see, Eve understood the whole time that they had to eat the fruit in order to have children. But I would contend that I don't think Eve's motivation in eating of the fruit was to have children. Because her, her way she poses this reasoning, this logic to Adam, is that if you do not partake, you'll be a lone man here, stuck in the garden, and I'll be cast out. Therefore, we won't be able to fulfill the commandments because we'll be separated. And that's her reasoning. So how could that have been her motive? You know, Because she's already with Adam. She's not separated from him in the garden. Um, the, the difference in circumstance you know, happens when she partakes of the fruit, and then it means that they're going to be separated. So she can use that logic with Adam saying that you have to partake it or you have to partake the fruit or else you'll be separated from me, else you won't be with me and therefore won't be able to follow God's commandments. But if they were together in the garden, I, I don't think that was Eve's motive in partaking of the fruit. I don't think she necessarily understood that they had to eat the fruit in order to have children. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but do you understand the difference in how she used that logic for adam to persuade him but she didn't necessarily have to use that logic for herself to persuade because the, the circumstance is different somewhat I'm a, I'm a little bit lost on kind of what you're trying to go about to some degree but i think i'm picking up on it a little bit so uh, let me let me say it we'll just one more time real quick yeah, so please the okay so the the line of reasoning for her is that you have to eat the fruit because it allows us to um have children right and um, that's kind of implied that she understood that when she tells Adam and she persuades him to eat the fruit by saying, um, if you don't eat the fruit, you'll be a lone man here and you won't be able to follow that commandment. Therefore, you have to eat the fruit to obey all of God's commandments because else you'll be separated from me and you won't be able to have kids because you got to have them with me. Fair. So she uses that line of reasoning with him. But I think some people are assuming, oh, so she must have also been motivated by that same logic when she was eating herself, you know, the fruit herself. But I would contend that that's not the case because um, it works with Adam because he's going to be separated from her unless he eats the fruit. But for Eve, they were not separated when she partook of the fruit. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like she had to eat the fruit in order to be with him because she was already with him. So the circumstance is different for her when she partook of the fruit than it is for him when he partook of the fruit. So I don't think that Eve necessarily understood that the fruit was necessary to have children. I don't think that was necessarily her motive. 
but I think that's something that a lot of people assume based on the temple um, account. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I think I see what you're saying that uh, Adam has to go with Eve because um, if, if he doesn't, he's going to be separated and not following the commandments of God to multiply and replenish the earth, right? Cause he'll be separated. But in Eve's case, she didn't have to follow Adam. And so she could choose to do, continue to stay right and wouldn't be breaking that commandment necessarily right is that kind of yeah. what you're saying yeah yeah and also um sorry i got a lot of thoughts on this part but yeah, no so problem. i'm i, I got to preface this by saying we're not depriving eve of her um virtue of wisdom i think uh wisdom is something women definitely have and you could even argue you know based on proverbs 8 and stuff that maybe wisdom is a feminine attribute or something inherent in women and I, I won't argue that. I think women can be very, very wise. Um, and I, I would not deprive Eve of this. Mother Eve is a wise woman who, you know, we, we respect and revere her. We don't uh, shame her like some other Christian sects do. But um, I want to point this other thing out. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard this, this interpretation before, Cade. But, you know, in the creation, when, um, well, let me back up. Okay, Adam and Eve by basic understanding, I think most people say they had two commandments. One was um, to multiply and replenish the earth. And the other one was to not partake of the forbidden fruit, right? Okay. So, and that's a big conflict for many people. And you have to like really wrestle through the, the reasoning here to, to spit out some kind of answer that's satisfying with how those commandments that God gave aren't in contrast with each other. But um, one interpretation I've, I've looked at um, that I was having this last time I read through the creation story in, in great depth was that the commandment to multiply and replenish the earth isn't necessarily the same kind of commandment. It's not like God told them this is a moral rule and a demand I'm making of you. It was rather just God finishing his creative act in designing human beings to be capable of multiplying and replenishing the earth. And that's why... Um, God also gives the commandments of other things uh, during the creative periods to multiply and replenish. And then he watches them until they do it. Um, pun intended, I guess. <laughs> but um, so, so the, I guess the difference is that God is designing them to be able to procreate. He's not giving them a, a, a commandment that they can transgress. Like there's no way they can't multiply and replenish the earth. He's put it in their DNA. It was part of a creative act. It wasn't like a commandment where he was saying, you know, you got to do this, you got to do this and you got to multiply the room, replenish the earth. If you don't do that, I'm going to punish you. It wasn't like that. It was more of like, he was saying, I'm designing you. I command the elements in you to be capable of um, multiplying and replenishing. And therefore it's not a commandment. So their only real commandment was not to eat of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, so I don't know. That's just a thought. I'm not saying this is necessarily the case, but uh, what do you think of that? Um, so far as I have understood it, I, I, it seems to me that it is a commandment that um, they are commanded to bear children. And uh, Joseph Fielding Smith actually kind of addresses this and uh, he has a series of books, um, Answers to Gospel Questions. And in one of them, he, he does address this. And he basically goes about it the same way that I think pretty much everyone has since, if not before, um, where they essentially say, yeah, it was a commandment, but they weren't contrary in the sense that God gave the conditional commandment of saying, um, 
don't partake of this fruit for in that day thou shalt surely die right and the the condition of it was a commandment to continue to procreate um, enabled them to continue but just so that they understood correctly when they did partake of that fruit they would die right that, that would enter into and and so i think to some degree that's part of satan's deceit when he's tempting eve um, as far as I understand it, and I obviously could be wrong, but on, on some of the, these issues, like I had mentioned with the fall, the creation and the atonement, there's a lot that we can speculate about, but there's a lot of interesting um, nuances, I guess, um, that don't necessarily change much, but some of them can change a little bit of how things fit together. And so I think finding that, finding the right interpretation is important. Um, now, I'm not declaring that I've received the revelation to say with authoritative knowledge that this is this or this is that. But to my understanding, uh, Satan's going out to beguile the woman, right, uh, Eve, was something that was intended from God to happen. Not necessarily that Satan do it, but that the serpent, right, a symbol for Christ on multiple occasions, like when Moses raises the, the staff and everyone was to look to him, uh, to be saved from the poison from the fiery serpents, right? Or um, in many other occasions, right? The serpent often is a symbol of Christ. And so I think when he slithers up as the serpent or blatantly declares that he is the brother of Adam and Eve, that he is trying to tell them that he is someone that he's not, that he's doing something that he's not authorized to do, right? Which casts him even further into that pit of hell. Um, and to further that, right, he does tell them some truths. He's like, oh, you know, here, you know, you need, you do need to partake of this, right? There are, you'll become as the gods, right? And, and so on and so forth. But he also does lie in saying, oh, no, you're not going to die when you partake of that. And so I think in at least two of those occasions, he is beguiling them by kind of sliding them along with a lot of truth, right? Oh, you guys will become as gods. There's no other way. You have to partake of this fruit, which is true, right? Um, but at the end of the day, um, he's not authorized to do what he's doing, at least not at that time. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And this, you know, the creation accounts, as you kind of said before, is one of these pillar things, but it's one that we know so little about. So I think it's fun to have lots of different ideas about this. I, I think right now I'm persuaded a slightly different on the, maybe cause of what Eve was beguiled with. And also, let me throw in one more scripture about my weird ramble about the multiply and replenish thing. But Let's if you notice in Abraham, listen to this, it says the God said, we'll bless them and cause them to be fruitful and multiply. And also later he says, um, let's see. So he organized man in their own image in the image of the gods to form they him male and female. And later it says, we will cause them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. So if he said, we'll cause them to be fruitful and multiply, doesn't that mean he's designing them to be that way? I know you could interpret it both ways, but it sounds less like a commandment and more like a creative act. I can, I can see seeing it that way. Um, one, one of the reasons I'm persuaded more towards it being a commandment is just the, the um, frequency of it being mentioned, um, not only in scripture to some degree or another, um, but also just kind of the, the simple fact that uh, uh, prophets and apostles have often referred to the scripture as a one of, as one of the two commandments that God gave them, even though they're potentially, if you, I, I believe it's DNC 20, go through there and uh, read that. It seems like God gives them more than just two commandments in there. So mm, I'll have to read that one again. What is it? 29. I could be wrong. I'll have to find it. I'll let you know. Yeah. I know there's that one section in DNC that talks a lot about the creation, Adam and Eve stuff. 
but uh, yeah, well, I, I am certainly okay with um, having different ideas or even being wrong on this. Um, not knowingly wrong. I mean, I'm not okay with believing something that's false knowingly, but <laughs> I'm okay recognizing the fact <laughs> that I know so little about this topic, the creation. Um, and even the temple, you know, depiction that we have of this, uh, it's such an important aspect of the cre- the temple experience. Yet, um, you know, we just, we do not understand much about the creation. We, we understand enough for it to be important and relevant, but there's so much we don't know. And there's so much symbolism. And sometimes we don't even know what's symbolic and what's not. And um, anyway, so I, I love the topic, but um, there's certainly a, not, a lot we still have to know. But um, yeah. as far as this question goes, was Eve beguiled? Yes. And, you know, for those feminists out there who hate the idea of Eve being tricked because they make all these implications of it saying, oh, you're saying that women are just gullible and et cetera, et cetera. Like, no, that's that's not what we're saying. Um, And, you know, if you're going to try to dictate truth by your bias and your political views, then you're you may hinder truth inadvertently because you're so biased that you can't even consider a possible outcome so you know it is possible for women to be tricked or men to be tricked and it doesn't set this precedent that uh you know it conflicts with your political views as well it may but anyway yeah. well, it, it is your, your, your political views to some degree probably should stem somewhat from religion <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so but, but no and, and it's a good point and, and i think that it's important that we don't get so caught up in traditions right that as joseph smith says that we shatter like glass as soon as something new comes along um but the the standard works are the standard for a reason right that the the scriptures the temple everything that we have is to help guide us in in values of morality or uh feminism or whatever right it's it's good to have power as a woman or a man or whatever right but i I think if you look at some of the principles of even just the 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 story of the fall you can find a lot of nuances and things that are important to apply to your life principles that you can apply right for example one one of the things just very quickly is he obviously Satan goes out and tempts them when they're all alone. Right. And there's, there's principle in that and there's power in gathering and there's power in, in praying together and being together and, and worshiping together. Um, and there is difficulty more so often when we are alone um, that Satan is very clever and very crafty. And um, I think we ought to be careful of that. Now, at the end of the day, just like you and I somewhat disagree on, on some of the, nuances of, of, of the story of the fall none of that changes the the, the actual doctrine of the fall and, and the importance of it but I, but i think there's an interesting quote from joseph smith that kind of he, he's talking about the same subject but he says that he's never heard of a man being down for believing too much but for being down for unbelief right and and i think that that is it's very important right search out these things find those things and and believe as much as you can <laughs> like like yeah. seriously um, and, and go about and have a little bit of zeal with you, you know, fill, fill your, your body with that spirit and enjoy the blessings that come from God. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. So, um, yeah, I think the reason why we even have these opinions is because, you know, we spent time in the scriptures and that's good. Form your opinions and, and try to see how they fit into the gospel. Don't let your speculations get so far that, uh, they, they obscure the most important things of the principles of the gospel, you know, faith and belief in God and, recognize that when you're, you know, speculating that you are speculating and recognize that there are pillars of truth in the gospel um, that we need to adhere to. But um, yeah, an interesting thing just for those feminists, though, someone who is kind of, uh, you know, a little fussy about the the fact that Eve was beguiled. 
it might help you to know that in the Book of Mormon, almost every reference to this occurrence says, um, it says things like they refer to that being who beguiled our first parents, that old serpent that did beguile our first parents. It's in Mosiah 16.3, 2 Nephi 9.9. 9. Ether 8.25, it says the, or the devil who is the father of all lies, even that same liar who beguiled our first parents. So it's not just saying they beguiled Eve or he beguiled Eve. It's saying our first parents. So it, it lumps Adam together with her. So uh, maybe it'll be nice if we can just both share the blame of the fall rather than just Eve as some, <laughs> some religions really hone in on that. So women, I think you're in a good spot and one where we revere mother Eve and call her a wise woman. And um, I hope treat her with a lot of respect, but yeah, if you go to some other religions, Catholic, or you read some of the pseudopigrapha, like the life of Adam and Eve, it's crazy. Like, <laughs> I'll, 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 even, I'll even add I, on my mission there was a, a lot of this that would happen even amongst church members i remember one time there was a little bit of an argument that broke out in uh in gospel doctrine class about the fall right uh or mm -hmm. no it wasn't even about the fall they were arguing about something and long story short the the, the ending disagreement was well you guys damned us all so <laughs> right all, all in <laughs> spanish and i was like holy crap calm down guys <laughs> <laughs> you women damned us <laughs> Oh man. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we certainly don't feel that way, but yeah, it's crazy. Like uh, I was reading, sorry, this is my last tangent, uh, but in the life of Adam and Eve, whatever, however you say that in the Latin translation of it, uh, Vita, Adam, Eva, whatever they say. Um, it says, and Eve said to Adam, this is right after they get cast out of the garden. She says, live thou my Lord to thee life is granted since thou hast committed neither the first nor the second error, but I have erred and have been led astray, and have not kept the commandment of God, now banish me from thy life, the life of thy light. And even in another version, she, um, she says, let's see, where does it say it? Oh, I can't remember. I think it's the Latin version. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She says this is in section Roman numeral I, verse 2, says, Eve says to Adam, wilt thou slay me that I may die and perchance God the Lord will bring thee into paradise? For on my account thou hast been driven thence. Now she's basically saying, oh, Adam, are you going to kill me? Because I'm the one whose fault it is. Maybe God will bring you back into paradise. And Adam says, no, 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 that's not a good idea. How can I kill my own flesh? But I was just astonished. I know this is pseudopigrapha, so it's not like canon, but I was astonished that it, even there it says, you know, Eve questions whether Adam would kill her because of the fall, because of her mistake. But uh, anyway, the gospel that we believe in, I think, treats Eve very well and reveres her, uh, especially compared to some of the other traditions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If anything, we are grateful for the step that they took. Right. Um, and, and that's the thing is at the end of the day, there is some power behind keeping the commandments of God. And sometimes there might be a misunderstanding with when those are being placed upon you mingled with philosophies of men or being beguiled by Satan to some degree. Right. And I, and I think that we ought to very carefully avoid that, right. To stand by that standard of, of uh, standard works that we do have to stand by what we learn in the temple, to stand by the teachings of prophets and apostles and use that as our basis for what we believe, right. That, that as we understand what we believe and, and live by that, that we're not deceived by weird doctrines or, or, you know, sexist doctrines to any degree or, or judgmental doctrines to a degree that are wrong either, right? That we go about and we, we get the true doctrine. It's not the doctrine of Cade, the doctrine of Mike, or the doctrine of, you know, some guy that lives down the street and has read 
you know, the Quran three times, but hasn't touched any other book of scripture, right? That we, we go about and, and we believe what we believe because we stick by it through revelation that we've received personally from what we've received so that we're not beguiled. Yeah, I think well put. So, yeah, I think uh, we really, we have to become as children, throw away our biases and our prejudice and our, um, all of our notions and pre, you know, conceptions of all these ideas that we have learned in the world and just try to get to the truth that God teaches in the scripture. Um, and I know we can find it. We have got more scripture than pretty much anyone has ever had um, on the face of this earth available in their lifetime. Yeah, saving a few. And so I think, you know, we are so blessed because of this dig into the scriptures. We've got it right here. Take advantage of it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't have anything else I think to add this week. Um, okay. Do you have any final thoughts you wanted to wrap it up with? Yeah, no, I think that's a, a good way to put it that ultimately, you know, wh- whether or not the, the reasoning for the beguilement is different, the, the simple fact of the matter is that we have become a fallen people <laughs> and we're all attached to that basically damnation and hell according to our own personal sins, right? That we'll be redeemed from everything um, that's been placed upon us, right? We will be punished for our own sins and not because of Adam's transgression. Um, and as we go about doing that, a good way to live our lives today and until we die is to seek the spirit right? To keep our bodies clean and to continue to seek, to enjoy those spiritual gifts that come along with it. Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you, Cade and listeners for going on this wild train ride that I've taken us on in some of the points uh, here, but uh, uh, it's always nice. I mean, Cade and I, we love talking about this stuff. I'm glad Cade usually picks up my slack when I'm not prepared on a topic like spiritual gifts and uh, deals with my speculations when I want to take it in a weird angle. But uh, (laughs) we hope you guys get some benefit from this and, uh, you know, are edified in some way. And uh, we'll have more questions next week to discuss. Uh, As I mentioned in my cliffhanger at the beginning, uh, I guess I put that at the wrong time. Now, now it's a cliffhanger. Um, uh, Yeah. So with that, uh, I guess we'll have, more next week for you guys let us know if you have any questions or comments and put it in the in the link in the show notes there that uh, lets you leave comments for us and we'll see you guys next week